Want to hear my conversation with Kerry Freeborough? We talk about how retail traders are sending stocks like GameStop through the roof, what a short squeeze is, and how institutional investors are reacting to that. We also talk about regulation and what options are available for market structures going forward. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKinsey Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnur, and I'm delighted to have Carrie Freeborough with us today. She is the Senior Vice President and Head of Global Trading uh, for all of IGM. Carrie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Matt. I've invited you here for a, uh, a bit of a story that's received wall-to-wall coverage. Uh, so that's uh, all of the um, press that's gone on about Wall Street bets, the subreddit that's really driven a, a few select stocks to be completely divorced from fundamentals. Um, I'd love to give the listeners a little bit of a different take on this story, because uh, as I said, everybody knows the, the baseline of it. But just in case uh, to level uh, set and in case someone's just getting back from a 10 day silent retreat or something like that, can you briefly describe what's happened uh, within that? And, and then we, we can uh, go on from there. Uh, sure. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, you know, it's just one of these things that it, it kind of came out out of the blue, whereby all of a sudden there was um, a bit of a frenzy in a handful of names, um, mostly U.S. names, although there was one or two Canadian names that got caught up in, in this frenzy. And it was really a frenzy of buying activity driven out of um, retail in the U.S. who trade through um, a, a platform called Robinhood. So, uh Robinhood, you can trade for free. It's it's a discount broker like TD Waterhouse or, or, or something akin to that. And um, these retail traders started reading Reddit, as you alluded to, or, or, or other um, you know social media sites that were really pumping up the idea of, of buying stocks in particular that had high short interests. Um, and GameStop has become sort of the most popular and the one that everybody has read about. But GameStop went from, you know, really $2, you know, in one day to $5 the next to uh, 50 to 100 to I think it got over $400 at one point. Um, wow. And uh, yeah, so pretty incredible moves in, in, in a very short period of time, Matt. I mean, you know, we're talking days here, um, not, you know, you know, years and years, which is what it would take normally for, for um, a stock to move on, as you said, fundamentals uh, in that kind of way. So it wasn't moving on fundamentals. It was really moving on, um, you know, what I would akin to uh, an old pump and dump scheme, right? You know, people talking up a stock, you know, we're really not trading on, again, any, any reasonable, you know, valuations. People haven't done the work. They're just reading social media sites and 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 trying to put a short squeeze on on you know bigger hedge funds that had really thought that GameStop, you know, from a fundamental standpoint, you know, wasn't going to go much higher. But a short squeeze is is where um, if you're short, unfortunately, uh, your losses are unlimited. If 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 you buy a stock at ten dollars, let's say GameStop, and it goes down to a dollar, that that's your maximum loss. You can lose ten dollars. But right. if uh, you're short a stock at $10 and it goes to 400, you just lost $390 and 
technically, if it goes higher, your losses are really infinite. Um, so that's what a short squeeze was. And, and, and like I said, GameStop is certainly the most famous, but there was a handful of names, um, that got caught up in all of this, um, and really in a short period of time. So it, it, to your point has gotten a lot of attention and we've seen a lot of news about it. Um, and it's really quite fascinating because it's a, it's a unique situation that we find ourselves in. For sure. Um, there was a couple, uh, points there that I want to circle back on. You mentioned retail traders, particularly sort of Robin hood traders driving this, um, Mm -hmm. from your seat, can you see how much of the trading activity, uh, actually came from the retail traders? And then you referenced short squeezes, which would be institutions that would have to actually come in and buy that stock, which would push the price up even more. What, you know, Obviously, it's a bit circular, but how much is actual retail money? How much is the institutional that's coming to to cover their shorts? And and what does that mean for the dynamics in that stock? Um, you know, in the next several days, we've we continue to see mm-hmm. tremendous volatility out of it. Correct. Um, so those are great questions. I mean, yes, you can see it because the likes of Robinhood trade in the U.S. Um, under what's called payment for order flow. So uh, they don't actually trade through a typical broker uh, and, the, and they go to um, a wholesaler that then prints them uh, off exchange. So from my standpoint and head of trading, I don't actually have the ability to interact with that volume. And it's reported a different way, which means I can look at it on a daily basis and see how much of it is reported in this different way and then realize how much of the actual volume we see on the screen was retail. And in some of these names um, over the course of the last couple of weeks, it's been in excess of 50% of all the volume going through is retail volume. Uh, so it, it, it's high. And I would put that in perspective, Matt, to say, you know, on a, on a, any given day, obviously retail buys and sells all the time. On any given day in the U.S., it's probably on average over the last, you know, call it five years, been about 20%. So a significant uptick in, in the retail participation. Obviously, there's there's other volume there too. And I would say for the most part, that is, you know, other traders uh, participating, whether it be institutions um, covering their shorts, to your point, that would be big institutions. Although for the most part, it's hedge funds that have uh, shorts out there and, and, and particular a couple big hedge funds that make these big bets uh, onto the short side. So definitely... To my point, uh, when you get squeezed, at, at, at some point you have to buy in the stock. You know, you have no choice. Uh, so that would have been, you know, represented a, go- a good portion of the of the other volume. Great. Um, and uh, so the retail flow was strong, obviously, uh, uh, to, to get things started. Robinhood at one point in time uh, and many other brokerages uh, restricted trading uh, game stock. Mm-hmm. Uh, any idea what's behind that decision? I've heard uh, different reporting, whether this is like the ability for liquidity within Robinhood uh, in order to do this, or if it's more of a, um, a decision that was made by executives informed by different parties or, or any idea what's behind that decision? Yeah, I mean, 100% I don't know, obviously, because I'm not I'm not sure. an executive of, of Robinhood. But certainly, um, I would say um, the consensus on the street is that it is about liquidity. So um, because of the way stocks settle right now, we have a, a trade date plus two day settlement cycle. So if I buy game stock today, I don't actually have to deliver that money for whatever I bought it for times however many shares I bought until... Today's Wednesday, Friday, so two days from now. 
Um, But if in two days, for whatever reason, I go bankrupt and I can't pay for the stock that I bought today, Robinhood is on the hook for that, right? So they have capitalized limits um, and Mm -hmm. amounts that, that, that they can have exposure to, which, which only makes sense, right? They, they can only take so much um, of that on their balance sheet at any given time. So it was really two-day settlement risk that I think they were trying to minimize. They, were, they just had so much exposure going through um, their balance sheet, really, uh, on all of these retail traders buying and selling uh, GameStop and, and others that I think they needed to limit their liability quite frankly, so they can live another day. So they can ha- have an, a, you know, a Robin Hood today and a Robin Hood tomorrow. So these retail traders can continue to trade. I think that that's what it was really about more than anything else. So just, just to double in, like, take a closer look at that. So I'm a Robin Hood investor. I want to buy a, a share of uh, GameStop. I put in my $500. That $500 leaves my account and goes to Robin Hood, doesn't it? So like where I guess where's the risk that Robinhood is assuming if that five hundred dollars is in their hands? So it's actually technically not in their hands until settlement date. So oh. it might not you might not see it in your account. Like you can't then go spend another five hundred because you've already spent it. You have a you have a debt that you are right. obliged to pay. But if in the interim you go bankrupt, right, you technically can take that $500 out and Robinhood's on the hook for it. It actually doesn't leave your Robinhood account until two days from now to then pay whoever you bought it from, right? Got it. Makes sense. Um, so how important is Robinhood to this story? Uh, you know, is it possible that in another uh, uh, world you'd see uh, these people trading through a different platform, maybe they have to pay small commissions, or do you think that Robinhood is actually central to the Reddit culture, uh, the the sort of group mentality in the trading? So it, it's not just Robinhood. I mean, certainly I think they're getting a lot of the attention, but, um, you know, any of these large uh, um, discount brokerage firms, E-Trade, Ameritrade, TD Waterhouse, um, you know, you know, all of them would fall into the same category. And, and I'd actually put them in the category of it, what I said earlier, payment for order flow. So it it is really free for a retail investor in the U.S. to trade, right? Easy access. It's online. You don't have to pay per trade. Um, and, And I think that's really the story. I mean, Robinhood kind of becomes the beacon of all of those people. And how sure. important it is to this story, I actually think is is really critical, all of them, you know, represented by Robin Hood, uh, because I think it, it it really has got the attention. You know, it, it, it's allowed the venue for this to happen, right? Because of payment for order flow, because of easy online access. And, you know, if Robin Hoods didn't exist or any of them didn't exist, then we wouldn't have the same issues. And I think that has really been highlighted to the regulators. Um, in fact, I, I was just on another call uh, talking about exactly this topic in terms of, right, maybe we need to rethink payment for order flow. Maybe we re- need to rethink whether we should provide free access to trading. You know, these types of questions are the questions that the regulators are now asking themselves, despite the fact that we've had discount brokers around for, for a long, long time. Right. And, and I guess putting yourself in the shoes of a regulator, when you, when you face this problem, um, is it, 
is it really an option to stop this uh, pay for order flow uh, or what options are on your ta- are on the table and you know what are the possible consequences for going down any of those uh, those options you know, I think that that's the million dollar question uh, that I think the regulators are trying to figure out right now. Um, you know, can you can you censor Reddit? Right. Like th- then you get into free speech and, and, and those types of things. Um, you know, do you change payment for order flow or are we too far down the track for that? Um, I think some of the other considerations are, you know, do you put more um, you know, regulation around? Uh, new accounts set up in Robinhood type um, scenarios. So that, you know, there's higher barriers to entry for a retail individual. Do you uh, put restrictions on whether they can trade options? They can, you know, invest on margin, you know, all of those things contributed to just the extent of, of, of how quickly and the velocity that this happened. Um, I think those are the things that the regulator is going to look at. And, and to your point, and I think this is why they have to be very careful and we won't have an answer anytime soon, is there are unintended consequences to all of those actions. Right. Makes sense. Um, I guess uh, what, just staying on that topic a little bit, I, I mean, Certainly, this has garnered uh, all sorts of press, as we said at the beginning. We're seeing politicians comment it. Regulators are taking a, a close look at it. At the end of the day, what we're talking about is a, a few what seems like pump and dump schemes that have been very successful, uh, but really a handful of stocks uh, in the U.S. Uh, market primarily. Um, you know, as far, in the context of the overall market capitalization of uh, of the uh, S and P five hundred or the U S market really quite minimal. Um, you know, is there is there an, an actual need to to regulate? Is there an overreaction that that you think is going on now, um, or does it self correct as these investors uh, inevitably uh, take massive losses? Um, my opinion is it's a bit of both. Um, you know, I do think it it you know what's happened has highlighted. Um, you know, a, a gap in how people invest. Uh, and, you know, you want, you want to make sure that people are investing properly and that we have fair and efficient markets. Um, and, and when people are publishing um, on, on stocks that they have, they are informed and they've done their work. I mean, you know, we've got lots of regulations around, um, around that in other parts of the marketplace. So this is just one part of the marketplace that I think is now made an example that that needs more regulation. Um, that being said, I, I do think it's died down a, quite a bit from where we were last week. And, and I think that's to your second point. I think it's, you know, it's it's going to fix itself in, inevitably and, and somewhat has as GameStop is trading now around 100. So if you bought it at 400, you've lost quite a bit of money and learned pretty quickly that maybe this isn't as fun as you originally thought. Um, um, so I, I do think it's 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 really a bit of both. Uh, my personal opinion is that uh, this is this is the opportunity for the regulators to really, you know, consider what to do about you know social media, which is is really changed the face of of investments, right? Because the access to information is just so high. And that information can be accurate or inaccurate. And and how do you rely on that? And how do you regulate that? It's not just a challenge that financial regulations or uh, regulators are facing. It's a broad societal thing at this point, I suppose. Uh, right. Uh, in 100%. Um, 
One of the, uh, another question for you. So uh, I know that uh, you are, as we said, the head of global trading. Um, if, uh, if you own a McKenzie product of, of any sort, uh, inevitably you impact that. Um, and I know that part of the role of, of the trading desk is in these situations really to s- send information to our investors. So these are, you know, people who are making uh, fundamental um, uh, decisions Um how do you how do you do that? Have your processes changed where you're particularly sensitive, looking for uh, order flow coming from retail a little bit more uh, closely, and in informing our portfolio managers that maybe short certain stocks, or or has this impacted your your process at all, or is it um, handled by what you're already doing? Um, it do, it has changed our, our our process a little bit um, in the in the sense that. You know, a couple of weeks ago, before it really was getting a lot of public attention and, and, and press, we were talking about it, and, and we were talking about it with our portfolio managers because we noticed some oddities in the market, and and you know what I referred to in the beginning, this this off market volumes were increasing. So, you know, it, to to an extent that we're always keeping track on on and a pulse on what's going on in the market. Um, and then informing our PMs that we're observing this oddity. And then we actually had, you know, some calls with uh, market structure experts mm. in and around the same timing it was happening. And, um, you know, I'll give an example, Matt. It, when I arranged the conference call, you know, I had some, but not, uh, you know, a huge amount of interest from our, our portfolio managers. And, and by the time the conference call actually happened, we had almost all the conf- uh, all the portfolio managers on there. So that's really my job is to sort of anticipate, look for oddities. It could have turned into nothing in this particular case. It actually became quite a big deal. So, um, you know, as much as we adjust on the fly, we do that in, in lots of different circumstances. This is just different than the last than one we did. And normally markets are quite efficient and we don't have to do that all the time. The last year with the with the pandemic has really proven um you know to, to be different from the market's perspective so i'll give you an example the last time we really sort of organized a conference call and and you know had all the portfolio managers on to talk about what was happening was in march when you know market volatility went through the roof and we were really in that you know crazy pandemic led sell off um and talked about it at that point too Makes sense. And maybe last question for you, Gary, in the in the scope of history. Uh, so as you think back over your your trading career, um, and uh, I'm sure that you're a student of financial markets in general. How odd is this episode? Uh, I mean, it seems pretty, uh, pretty remarkable uh, magnitude. But, you know, how, how odd is this really? Um, it, it's pretty odd. And, and I have been in the markets for um quite a while and not not to date myself but you know the last time i really saw something sort of this crazy um and it was to your point probably on a larger scale was in 1999 um when you know technology company valuations just had had no um reconciliation to reality we you know we were we were valuing on pops per page uh right. when the internet was first started to get going and and we all know how that ended right it was there was a, a big bubble burst um you know in 2000 and uh um, and and that was very hard for a lot of people and and you know a lot of big firms um uh, struggled quite a bit during those times so you know but really that was 20 
21 years ago, right? Uh, so I, I do think this is this is odd. I do think it's unique. I don't think it's 100% comparable to 99, but that's sort of the best comparison that I can see. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, as we talked about, I think it's died down a bit and I think that's positive, but I don't think this story is over. Carrie, thank you very much uh, for your time today. I really appreciate your insight. No problem, Matt. Thanks so much for inviting me. The content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns.